you will this morning take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We have been studying through this book for, I believe now, a year. Um, I think it, it popped up on one of those Facebook memories the other day. And we began the series a little over a year ago, and we were making very good time. We're taking a few little breaks. But chapter 10 this morning, beginning in verse 1, uh, in chapters 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul taught us on the misuse, if you will, of the misuse of freedoms and liberties and how the misuse of them can affect others. How this can have a, how this can influence others in a negative way. That if we are not careful, then that we can hurt our brothers or we can hurt someone, we can hinder someone here in the gospel. Chapter 10 now transitions to a, a another angle of this. All right. The focus is now how the misuse of liberties and freedoms can actually have an effect on you, the individual. It, it can it can have an effect and influence us in a negative way in our spiritual walk. And so Paul says here that you and I may fall. Now, I want to say this before we get in. I don't have time to, to flesh this out, but understand that when we talk about falling this morning. We're not talking about losing your salvation. We're not talking about losing your salvation. We understand that our salvation cannot be lost if we are genuinely saved. What we are talking about, though, is, is that if a person can fall into sin, uh, they can reap the consequences of those sins. And so Paul was talking about that you and I may fall into a kind of a, a pothole, if you will, and stumble, and that we will reap major devastating consequences upon our life. Or, like we talked about last week, you, you kind of lose your effective witness as a believer, you may lose out on heavenly rewards that God has for us, but it's kind of a both and. This also may be an issue of where you fall into the sin of apostasy. And if you, for those of you who may have been with us back in November, while we I preached on this, apostasy is basically a pretending to be a believer. You have been acting as a believer this entire time, but you now have fallen into sin and you walk away never to come to repentance, never to come back into the faith family. You walk away and you express the genuine unbelief of your heart. You were never saved in the first place. So it could be an issue of falling into apostasy. But I want to make that very clear as we get in here. It's not an issue of losing your salvation. It's either you're a believer and you're going to reap consequences on it. Or you were an unbeliever lying about your Christianity. But either way, the outcome is not good. And so therefore, Paul has been telling us to practice self-denial. That it's needed in our own spiritual walk with Christ. And so here what we'll find this morning is, is that Paul is going to use another example. Where in chapter 9, the example was himself. Now this morning, the example will be the Old Testament example of Israel in the wilderness. And I want you to see this morning, brothers and sisters, the dangers of overconfidence. The dangers of overconfidence. And you'll see the warning, you'll see the danger, and you'll see the hope. Let's begin this morning in, in verse 1 of chapter 10. We, we read, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the spirit, same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. And for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low. They were killed. 
They were put to death. The, the, notice the picture. They were laid low in the wilderness. The picture is, it's just the, the desert. And in that desert, there are just bodies, dead bodies scattered everywhere. God laid them low. Verse 6, he says, now these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And then notice 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There is a story that is told of a warning that was given to a great eagle. It is said that the eagle landed on a block of ice there above the Niagara Falls. And as he was drifting, other birds would come and told him of the great warning or, or told him of the great danger that awaited him. And, but the great eagle did not listen. It is said that the great eagle looked to the other birds and stretched out his powerful wings. And he said, look at these wings. He says, should I be afraid of falling? He says, with these great wings, I can, I can fly off this, you know, this piece of ice any moment that I wish. And so the eagle, as the eagle got closer and closer to the waterfall, right before it went over, he spread forth his great wings that he may fly away from the impending doom, only to discover that his claws had been frozen in the block of ice and he fell to his death. Like the eagle, the knowledgeable Christians of Corinth were overconfident. A lot like many of us, probably. We're we're overconfident spiritually because we have knowledge. We've done, we have experiences, we've done certain things. And so so we think because of our past and our, our history within church or the knowledge that we have, that we are not in danger of any spiritual failure or moral failure. Well, in verse chapter, in verse 12, he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So here we see in verses 1 through 5 and verse 12, we see the warning. These were the Christians who ate the meat there in Corinth. They were, they were the ones eating the meat that was offered to idols. Were they sinning because they ate the meat? Well, no. You remember? Chapter 8, Paul said, food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor are we the better if we do eat. The problem was never the meat. The problem was the dangers that the meat could lead them into. And so they believed themselves to be strong enough. I can stop eating the meat anytime I want to. I, 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 can, I can resist any temptation that would come from that place, that idol worship center, from that marketplace where I'm buying this. And so they believed that about themselves. And so they ate the meat freely and they did so over and over and over again. Yet over time, they slowly began associating themselves with pagans. What started out with eating meat became a friendship in the marketplace with the butcher. Which then turned into a conversation with the butcher about his view of life. And about 
his view of the president and the politicians of the day and, and his view of religion. And then the butcher inviting them into the temple, introducing them to the people in the temple, introducing them to the prostitutes who worked in the temple. They were unwisely stretching their liberties and beginning to, 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 to find themselves going into these pagan places. And the whole time they're reasoning, but we know that there are no real gods other than one. Remember they said that, that's our knowledge, Paul. The meat is not sinful. There are no other gods. I'm fine. I, I can do this. This is not going to affect me in any way. And so they unwisely stretched their liberties to the extreme, getting as close to the fire as they could without getting burned. And the Apostle Paul saw the danger that they were in, and he warns them with an example in the Old Testament. And so that example is, is Israel in the wilderness? Israel has been set free from Egypt, and now they're wandering in the wilderness. They're, they're heading toward the promised land. And so what you will find is, in this example, is that we and the people of Corinth were very much like those in the wilderness. God has granted you and I great privileges. Yet, we think that these privileges offer us some type of protection over sin, and it does not. And we suffer great consequence. What were the privileges that we find in the text? Well... Notice that he talks, notice, well, first, they were freed from Egypt. They were set free. We, we know they were slaves. Now they're not slaves. Then we see this thing of the cloud and the pillar. So by day, they had the, 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 the cloud would, would guide them in the day. At night, you had the pillar of fire. They were baptized through the Red Sea into Moses. So they, they, the Red Sea parted. They were, they were saved. There's great blessing there that they went through. They had Moses as their leader, one of the greatest saints of all time. Probably, you know, I mean, the only one that someone would probably say would be better than Moses as a leader would be Jesus himself. God provided them manna in the mornings when they were hungry. All the manna that, the, you know, the manna that they needed every day. Not only that, God provided them rock. I mean, a, a, a rock. <laughs> there were a lot of rocks. God provided them water from the rock. If ever there was a group of people who could confidently claim God is with us. God is with me, brothers. I will not fall. My God is with me. Look at what he has given me. Yet in verse 5 we read. That God was not pleased with them. And God laid them low. And he did it as an example for you. They were an example to you. That God could be displeased with his people. And lay them low. Ananias and Sapphira anyone? Here we find the warning, beloved, of overconfidence. You see, the majority of them died in the wilderness, never, eat, never entering into the promised land. Why? Because of their overconfidence led them into sin that brought about judgment. This is the solemn warning of the, to the believer. Stop being spiritually careless. You go back to verse, go back to chapter 9, verse, you know, the, the, the very last verse. Run the, way, the race to win. I beat my body that I'm not disqualified, that I may win the race, that I may cross the finish line. I discipline myself. I deny the worldly things that I may run this race, that I may have a holy life. Does that mean that I have to give up good things, things that are not in, that are sinful directly? Yes. But I'm running this race that I may win and that I may live for Christ. And yet, sadly, many of us find ourselves to be exactly like the people of Israel and the people of Corinth. Who look and say, 
I am in no danger, beloved, of sinning. God has been good to me. I am in no danger. And so we say, I can handle my liquor. I can drink whatever I want, when I want, because I can handle it, right? It doesn't control me. Try going without it for a while to see if it controls you. Some say, I, I, can, I can eat whatever I want. I can eat as much as I want. I'm not really a glutton. I can go to the worldly places. They have no influence on me. I, I can go into places where, where most believers, they're just not as strong as I am spiritually to handle the temptation that would come to them. But, but I, I can go in those places and nothing, nothing bothers me. They don't make me sinful. I can watch certain movies i can go on facebook or i can go on youtube and watch certain videos i can look at pictures that most men and even women should not be looking at they're not strong enough to handle that i am i can handle it i will not fall off into sin i I can talk and text and message a person of the opposite sex and and it's not going to bother me I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never do that. I can handle these types of flirtatious relationships in the workplace or over social media. I I can miss church. I've been to church all my life. It's okay if I go a week or two or three. It's okay if I stop attending Sunday school. Look, I was baptized when I was a kid. Man, I got great privilege, right? I served in VBS. I don't have to serve the church. Now, the church won't suffer. I'll let the church teach my children. That's not, I don't need to do that. My kids will be fine. Over and over and over again, what we find, beloved, is that you and I tend to be overconfident in areas that God is warning you about. And similar to Israel, you think that because you've been granted certain privileges, certain experiences, you begin to make careless, unwise decisions, inching your way closer and closer to danger. You think because you were raised in a children, a, a Christian home, you're a member of a local church. You've given money to missions and you've tithed for all of these years. You've been baptized. You've been on mission trips. You've been on youth trips. You've been on, you've been on uh, children's uh, trips. You, you've volunteered in all of these things. And you think that you are a spiritual giant. And you believe that nothing can happen to you. And you believe that, no, you will not fall. And we have forgotten the very warning of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. When those who were greater than us, such as Peter, when Jesus told them, keep watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Peter slept, never hearing the stomping, the, the, the noise of the, of the Roman army coming to them. Many of us find ourselves in the same way. So we find here that, that in our abuse and in our maybe our misuse of liberties, beloved, there is a danger there that you need to be warned about. Whatever it may be, you need to be warned about. And so we say, ask the question, okay, well, what is the danger? Well, so, so notice here, verse 6 and through, through 11, he says, now these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. So let's just stop there for a moment. 
Verse 6, so that we would not crave evil things. This is the danger of misusing our freedoms. We slowly and unknowingly give our flesh what it craves. In James chapter 1, verse 14, he says this. He writes, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Think about that. Your temptation, a temptation that you deal with, that you battle with, it's a temptation for the very reason that it is a desire in your heart. You desire to do this sinful thing. Amen? You are tempted. You have temptations, right? And, and, and so we understand Romans chapter 8, that, there are, that we are told to not walk according to the flesh, but we're told to walk according to the Spirit. We understand that it's a struggle. Paul himself says there's a battle there. I, I really want to walk toward, according to the Spirit, but my flesh... It just drives me to walk in this way. So, so the misuse of these liberties can slowly begin to lead you to give in to temptation and give prefer, preference to the evil cravings that are within you. Listen, I know that you think that Satan is your greatest enemy. But beloved, you were unsaved. Then you were saved. But your flesh has not been redeemed. It is being redeemed. Your greatest enemy is not out there. Your greatest enemy is you. You have this sinful flesh, this sinful desire to do evil things. No one has to come along and tempt you. It's already in you and it desires to come out of you. And so here's the danger. The danger is, is if I am not careful, beloved, I will then begin to give in to the very cravings. That I have inside of my inside of me. And nine times out of ten, it's the very things that you used to do before you were saved, and now you're fighting to never do again. And so these misuse of liberty slowly begin to lead you back into temptation. I believe, being that we're all from Louisiana, we all know how to boil a frog, right? You place him in a pot of you know, maybe cold, lukewarm water, and you begin to slowly turn the temperature up. And so his body begins to conform to the temperature every time it goes up to eventually, before he realizes that he, he's in any danger, death overtakes the frog. And that is what Paul is saying to you and to me. That before you realize that you are even in hot water, beloved, you have found yourself into some serious no-no's. Some serious sin. And it all started because you ate some meat. It's all started because you were having conversations that you probably shouldn't have had. It all started because you had a freedom to do something that you, that was not sinful in and of itself and was totally okay biblically for you to do. But you just couldn't, you just had to keep going further. Notice the four major sins that we find ourselves in. In Exodus, in verse 7, he tells them to, stay, he tells them to, to not be idolaters. And in Exodus 32, the Israelites made and they worshiped this golden calf. And so what we find here is, is that not only did they make a golden calf, but they were having kind of their own potluck. They were eating and they were drinking and they were playing and having games. And it was all fun and games while Moses was away doing, you know, with the Lord. Beloved, hear me, the, the golden calf was a fruit of what was in the heart. The eating, the drinking, the playing was an expression of what was in the heart. Idolatry was in their heart. 
and they were not careful. They, they had just came out of an idolatrous nation and they were not being careful with themselves, being disciplined, denying themselves, that they began to slowly and surely walk themselves back into idolatry to the point that they made themselves a golden calf. What is idolatry? Idolatry is when something, an object or a person, something takes all of your emotion and all of your time and all of your money, all of your energy and all of your freedoms. Idolatry is a good thing that you just indulge in and embrace lovingly more than you do the Lord himself. You elevate a good thing above the Lord. And so Paul is saying, beware lest you fall into idolatry. And this becomes the main issue. We'll see this next week. But, but he says, beware lest you fall into idolatry. So, so for you and I this morning, beloved, when it comes to our freedoms, you need to beware that you don't fall into idolatry with your freedoms. So, so you love to, to go and have recreation and you love to have hobbies and you love to do whatever. So, so you begin to miss out on church or you begin to whatever. That becomes your thing. Or even during the week, your recreation is something that you love. You have the freedom to do it, but you do it so much that it's obvious that you love that more than you love God and love God's people. Recreation can become an idol. Money can become an idol. Money becomes the very passion that you, the very passion of your soul. It's the only thing you can think about. It's the only thing that you work toward. People, family can become idols. That only what, only, a, the only thing that matters is them and nothing else. Or how about this one? Even the freest country in the world, America, can become an idol. Right? With all of its freedoms. With all of its freedoms that we have, beloved, that we can enjoy and that we can participate in. And we begin to become more American than Christian. Beware idolatry, lest you fall. But then in verse 8, beloved, notice that he moves on into sexual immorality. He says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. It was 23 in one day. And then guess what? Another thousand the next day. In Numbers 25, when Israel, they began to play the harlot. You may remember Balaam was trying to curse them and he couldn't. And so Balaam and them came up with an idea. We, we have a way in which to, to, to basically to, to bring about the fall of Israel. And it started out with eating meat. And it started with conversations with other people of the opposite sex. And it began to where people were, men were having affairs with prostitutes, the Moabites, the Midianites. It all started with eating and drinking that led into sexual immorality. And the Corinthians were in similar danger. They were going into places to buy this meat. And they were being... Tempted, they were, they were exposing themselves to things that they should not have been exposed to. All that they may be able to grill up a good steak. Which then led to lust. Led to innocent glances. Or actually non-innocent glances. Right? We, we want to say sense of it's really not. But then it led to a second glance, a third glance, a fourth glance. And then the next thing that they found themselves, they were participating in things that they never thought that they would have done again. Beloved, you are free to watch whatever movie you want to watch. You're free to watch whatever TV show you want to watch. You're free to watch whatever video you want to watch. You're free to read whatever book and magazine you... you know. 
But every time you're inching yourself closer and closer to the very fact, you say, I will never commit adultery. I will never cheat on my spouse. And then one day you look back and you wonder, how did it get here? As Casting Crown's song says, it's a slow fade. Beware, beloved, lest you these so-called freedoms that you think that you have show whatever leads you to begin lusting, that leads you to begin acting and expressing this what is in your heart. You are free to talk to other individuals. You are free to have friends with other individuals. You're free to have Facebook Messenger on your phone and free to text message. But beloved, when you begin to text other individuals that are not your spouse in ways that you should not do, you are inching closer and closer into the fire and you will get burned. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens using your freedoms and not being wise to not, to not stay away from these things. But notice, notice verse 9. He says, testing the Lord. This issue of testing the Lord in Numbers 21, because of the lack of food, the Israelites became impatient. And they spoke harshly against God and Moses. You know what they said? The meat in Egypt was better. The drinks in Egypt were better. The pastures were greener in Egypt than they are here, Moses. God, why can't you give me something better to eat than this manna? I mean, in Egypt, I had something better. And so they began to test the Lord. They began to speak to God in ways that, that you would never dream a man or a woman would ever speak to God. They thought they could poke the bear. You ever see those videos where, where people are messing with wild animals and then out of nowhere, they, they get like knocked over or mauled. They, they think that they can test that they can test this animal. I'm going to get as close as I possibly can and nothing's going to happen to me. They were wrong. God sent serpents that killed many of them, laid them low. And likewise, beloved, you and I believe that God is so forgiving and so loving that you can do or say whatever you want to say. I can't lose my salvation. I'm Baptist. I believe in eternal security. I would just say we, we believe the word, but, but we, we, we see the word and I believe in eternal security and I can't lose my salvation. So I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. And God is so loving. He, he'll, he'll forgive me. J.C. Ryle said this. A saint whom nothing can be seen but worldliness or sin is a kind of monster not recognized in the Bible. That is something the Bible does not even recognize. A believer who sins willfully, who is as worldly as they can, believing that God is okay with it. Christian, do not use the goodness of God to test him. Do not use the goodness of God to, to excuse your divorce, to excuse your lies. To, to excuse your cheating and your, and your anger and your drunkenness. Do not, do not accuse God of being too good that you became an idol. That you, became, that you worshipped an idol. To push your freedoms to the very extreme. You are poking a bear that you do not want to poke. Well, look at verse 10. Grumbling. Because, you know... 
grumbling is not the worst sin ever, right? Grumbling is not a bad sin, but look what he says. Nor grumbling, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is where the, the people of Korah came against Moses, and the ground opens up, and, he, and it swallows them all. This is where they all died. An angel of death. The, the one that was probably went through Egypt, killing the firstborn sons, has come now, and is destroying the people of Israel. Why? Because they grumbled and complained. Number 16, they complained and declared... That the food and the drinks, again, were better in Egypt. That life was better in Egypt. And so they said the pastures are greener on the other side. And so God destroyed them. Why? Because their grumbling and their complaining was an outward expression of a dissatisfaction with the provision of God. Do you know when you grumble and complain at home and with your work and when you grumble and complain at church, when you grumble and complain about people in your life, do you know what you're really doing? You are telling God that you are dissatisfied with what he has given you. You're dissatisfied with the job that you have. You're dissatisfied with the food that has been placed on your table. You are, we want to think it's more about individuals, but it's not. God is sovereign and, prov, and providential in these things. And so you have been given this church. And so therefore you complain about the church thinking, well, this is only about, about so-and-so. But you are complaining because you are dissatisfied with what God has given you. And so therefore, when you begin to be dissatisfied with these things, you begin to look at the other pastors and believe they are greener. And you begin to go eat from them. Beware the lack of contentment, beloved, in your, in your marriage may, may not lead you to not only sexual morality, but even maybe in the issue of divorce. But be careful, beloved, that your lack of contentment in your own job may not lead you to take on another job that takes you away from church. Be, be careful, beloved, that you're not looking for greener pastures even in the church. That you leave a church that is sound in doctrine. Because maybe their kids' programs aren't as cool as the kids' programs down the road. But they have no sound doctrine. And so you leave because you're a complainer, a grumbler. And you think it's not that big of a deal. But at the end of the day, God takes it because Paul says it was one of the four great sins of Israel that God had them killed. Beloved, most of us would never find ourselves in these sins. Most of us would never find ourselves in these sins overnight. To be an idolater? To become sexually immoral? To become so dissatisfied with the provision of God that I would, that I would leave God, leave the, the things He's given me to go to the world and feast in the dumb. This, this is the whole prodigal son and the, the pig pen. That I would ever poke the bear. I would ever try God. We would. Not one of us in here would look at any one of us in here and go. And go wow. I, I see that happening in that person. This is the reason you're in shock and awe. When these sins come out. <gasps> how did that happen? Paul tells us how it happened. That you were Slowly. Inching your way into that sin because you were too overconfident to see what was happening. You were too overconfident in yourself that you didn't realize that this whole time 
Your flesh was craving the world. And Satan and the world were just dangling that carrot in front of you. Well, beloved, it happens. And it happens all the time. Why? Because we slowly move into these sins through the extreme use of freedom. The lack of self-discipline. The lack of denial. Pushing our freedoms to the extreme. And so, and so we're just moving into the closer to the fire. So, so examine yourself this morning. You need to examine yourself right now, right here this morning. And ask yourself this question. Am I going to church less than I used to go? Am I reading the Bible less than I used to read? Am I praying less than I used to pray? Am I lusting more than I used to lust? Am I drinking more than I used to drink? Am I watching things, you know, unwholesome things more than I used to watch? Am I speaking unwholesome words more than I used to speak or lying more? Examine yourself. Have I moved further away from from spiritual holiness and closer to worldliness? And if the question is yes, turn around now. Turn around now. Repent and turn around now, beloved. And run. We're going to look at this in just a second. Your hope. But turn around now. Or maybe you need to ask yourself this morning. Say, you know what? Maybe it's not that I've just been drifting away. Maybe I have found myself in the fire. I was drifting away. And now what I have found is that I've actually been burned. I have found myself worshiping an idol. I have found myself just in sexual immorality. And it may be in secret sexual immorality or, or not. Or maybe it's an affair. But you have found yourself doing something that you never believed you were going to do. Or you become such a grumbler and a complainer that you're testing God. And it burns you. You're no longer what you were, what you remember you were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. What hope do you have then? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Uh, this is such a great verse. Maybe you are one of those people that you have seen yourself drift away and you're looking back and you're thinking, How did I get here? Verse 13 tells you how you can get back. Verse 13 tells you how you can get back, beloved. And it's a lot here. And, and sadly, we do not have the time to, to just, just to dig out of this verse. Every, because almost every word here has, has this great truth in it. But, but overall, here is what Paul is saying. There is a question that is being raised about our freedoms. Are the trials of Israel, the trials that Israel experienced... <clears throat> Are they more than what God could have expected them to endure when he gave them freedom? Do our freedoms, are they, do they lead us? Do they leave us open to temptation too strong for us to bear? Can I have my freedoms and, and, and make free choices and do these things and still stand? Or not fall? Or not stand? Paul answers here with a resounding, there is hope. As Christians, beloved, victory is always available. There is no temptation that we cannot get out of. There is no temptation that, has, that, ha, that can defeat us if we are wise. 
Doesn't that make you excited, beloved? Do you ever just fear? Do you ever feel that there's just there's no hope for you that you can't come out of a certain sin? That you can't beat a certain temptation? You just think, there's no hope for me. I just need to die and go to heaven. I just need to die and go to heaven. God has saved me, but I'm still got this sin. And, and though I, I try to deny, and though I try to be disciplined, it still takes hold of me. And I, and I still keep wanting to inch closer. Is there hope? Absolutely, there's hope. What is the hope? God is faithful. God is faithful. Where is the confidence at here? Is the, is the confidence in them or in God? It is in God. Paul says, God is faithful for he has provided a way of escape. Notice verses 1 through 4 again. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Christ was with them the whole time. And instead of looking to Christ, they look to a calf. Instead of looking to Christ, they look to sexual relations with other women. Instead of looking, instead of looking to Christ, they, 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 they tested the Lord and tried the Lord. Instead of looking to Christ, they grumbled and they complained. Beloved, here this morning we see that my confidence is not in me. It is not in that I was baptized or I took the Lord's Supper or I went on youth trips or children's trips. My confidence to be able to stand in this sinful world, to be able to live freely and not fall, is that God has provided an escape in Christ. He is your way of escape. John sixteen thirty three. take courage, I've overcome the world. Christ came into the world, he faced every temptation that you would face. And he overcame all of them. Christ was victorious. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave that he may bring home to you that you may be saved, but not only saved, but that you may be sanctified and find victory over sin. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet without sin, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. And so what is the answer for you this morning? You have found yourself in sin. You found yourself drifting away from Christ. What is the answer? Notice verse 14. Flee, my beloved. Therefore flee, my beloved, from idolatry and run to Christ. It may be an unbeliever this morning who needs to escape the judgment that awaits them. And in your freedom, you have been way too patient. You have been indulging in idolatry and in, in immorality of this world. You've been testing God and you've been saying, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. God is loving. God is good. He's not going to send me to hell. I'm a good person. You need to repent and flee from those sins and place your faith this morning in Christ and Christ alone as your salvation. And then begin to live obediently to him. Or maybe this morning you are a believer and you're a Christian who's found yourself drifting away or worse. You have drifted right into sin and you need an escape this morning. Flee and place your faith in Christ. Maybe it's idolatry. Maybe you have found yourself, you are worshiping something else more than you worship God. You have forsaken your first love. Flee from it. 
and turn to Christ. Give up your idol and make Christ the love of your life. Flee from sexual immorality. Maybe you have found yourself in the arms of another person. Maybe you found yourself with your, you know, secretly glued to the TV or to your phone, looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. And so you, you, it started out with, you know, this idea that I'm free to do whatever, I can watch whatever, and it began to look but don't touch, and now it's turned into a, a raging fire you cannot control, beloved. Hear me this morning, flee to Christ, delete your, your apps, throw your phone in the water, throw out your TV, whatever. Run away and run to Christ. Flee from testing the Lord. Stop using God as an excuse for sin. The devil did that in the wilderness, not us. Flee testing the Lord, believing that God is so good and, and so forgiving and so loving that your sin will be overlooked. You are poking a dangerous bear. Flee your grumbling and your griping and your dissatisfaction and flee looking at those other pastors and thinking they are better. If you want to know how to stand, beloved, deny yourself all of those things. Run to Christ this morning that you may be able to quote Psalms 1. Listen to this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in the season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. Oh, beloved, flee the wickedness of this world and run to Christ that you may stand that you may resist any temptation that would come. Find your hope in Christ this morning. Come and repent. Let's pray.